Let's begin tonight by opening our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Last week I preached a message on God's expectations for children. And we covered verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 6. which I understand in our modern day and age, those verses by themselves are very controversial. How many of you know who Dr. Spock is? And no, I'm not talking about the character on Star Trek. It was my mother who actually reminded me of Dr. Spock this week, and I hadn't thought about him in a long time. And... and, uh, yeah, going back many, many years, several couple generations, he, uh, he was a well-known psychologist who promoted unbiblical parenting practices. And, uh, you know, it hasn't gotten any better. The world hates God, hates the Bible, and hates the, those who believe in God and believe in the Bible. Believe that our our faith has no place in modern culture. And I want to read tonight verse number four. And this message, I will warn you from the start, will be different than most that I preach, because I'm going to be dealing with a specific error, deception. And so I'm going to take a lot of time tonight to explain it to you so that you understand it. I don't usually do this so much as I will tonight, but I believe it's necessary because this particular deception is, is so tricky that I believe a lot of Christians are, are uh, unwittingly, unknowingly maybe being influenced by it. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Heavenly Father, please give us wisdom tonight and hearts that are submissive to your word and the Holy Spirit's leading. May we set aside our pride our preconceived notions and submit ourselves to the truth of your word in this area of parenting and child rearing. May we follow the instructions that you have clearly laid out in your word and we trust that by your grace we might be the kind of parents that would honor you and that would be a blessing to our children. But thank you that your grace and your mercy is sufficient so that when we fail, that failure doesn't have to be final. We can recover and we can learn and we can grow to be more Christ-like in every area of life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Parenting is hard. 
I believe that most young people who are not parents underestimate just how difficult it is to be a parent. And it's not until someone becomes a parent that they even begin to understand how demanding and difficult parenting is. And even after you have been a parent for a decade or two, it never feels easier. No matter the age or developmental stage of a child, parenting is often tiring, frustrating, and confusing. For these reasons, many people look for advice on how to be the best parent possible. And so there's no shortage of resources out there from parenting experts, quote-unquote, who are more than willing to share with you the secrets that, that they've learned that will unlock your parenting superpowers. And if you'll just buy their book, watch their YouTube videos, and listen to their podcasts. And with a field so full of people looking for advice and people giving advice, it would be naive not to realize that much of that advice is going to be bad advice. So when Christian parents go looking for information about how to be better parents, they are guaranteed to be exposed to some bad advice, outright heresy, and false doctrine. And Christian parents must learn then to practice godly discernment in who they listen to and who they follow. There's a particular trend in the world of parenting that's gotten a lot of attention lately, really in the last few years. But going back about 20 years ago, it began to really pick up steam. It's not a new teaching, but it is a new twist on an old error. And the gurus who sell you on it make it sound very attractive. Let me give you some quotes directly from them about this system of parenting. It is a scientific, evidence-based approach to raising confident and happy children. Benefits include parents that are happier, Children are more intelligent. Children have better brain development. Children are less likely to be obese. Children are less likely to be violent. Children are more likely to have healthy adult relationships when they grow. They say it isn't about making life easy for yourself today. It's about investing in the future. Its four basic tenets are empathy, understanding, respect, and boundaries. Now be honest, doesn't that sound like a promising method of parenting? I mean, only a monster would not want their children to be intelligent, happy, and healthy. And so having been introduced to this, people begin to dive deeper into the system. And as they do, they are taught things like this. And by the way, I'm going to be sharing with you a lot of quotes tonight directly from the source. These are not my fictitious imaginings of what they teach. This is what they say. 
You're taught things like this. Raise your children in a manner that you are aware and considerate of a child's feelings. Quote, most parents demand respect from their children, yet few truly respect them in return. This is a two-way equation. If parents respect their children, and most importantly, their child's unique feeling and personality, then the child in turn is more likely to respect the parent. Quote, babies are not many adults. Toddlers are not many adults. Preschoolers are not many adults. Tweens are not many adults. And teens are not many adults. They say discipline should be, quote, age-appropriate, positive, respectful, empathetic, and intelligent. And at this point, if you're wondering, well, what's wrong with that? then you're not alone. Everyone with any conscience is thinking that this must be some of the best parenting advice ever given. And depending on your upbringing, if you had a particularly difficult childhood, you might be thinking that you wish your parents had taught you this way. And so, having sniffed the bait and swallowed the hook, the gurus reel the parents into the full system, teaching them how to employ their scientifically refined parenting techniques to give their children the best possible chance at life. The parents, believing that the methods taught will produce positive results, follow the teaching, adopt the language, and utilize the psychological techniques they learn, and they do it with little question. And the devil laughs at how gullible people are. While the system promises so many positive outcomes, it cannot but fail to deliver on them because it's a system built on lies. It is a system built on secular humanism and a total rejection of God and the authority of the Word of God. And I believe with all my heart that it is dangerous to the point of being potentially spiritually fatal for the children raised by this system. Because it denies that children are sinners in need of a Savior. It says that selfish, ungrateful, or angry behavior is actually normal, good, and right. It preaches that children should never be told no, don't, or you can't, because that brings negativity into their life. It puts the child in charge of their own upbringing, telling the parent to respond to that child's every uncontrolled outburst by cooing psychobabble to their toddler if they want to listen. And it sets the child on a path of disregarding all authority, including God's. That is a path that leads to hell. And the harshest, cruelest thing that you could do to a child is to prevent them from coming to the Savior. So it may surprise you to learn that the name that they have given to this harsh, 
cruel, psychologically manipulative system of parenting is gentle parenting. There are other names, but this one seems to be the most common. Some of you are familiar with the term, may have even employed some of its techniques in your parenting, but I'm here to warn everyone away from this. It is a godless system designed to lead people away from God and the Word of God. I will be sharing with you in their own words what they really believe, why it is so dangerous to your child, and begging you to reconsider your duty as a Christian parent to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Some of you know people who are using this system with their children. They may be your friends. They may be your family. You hear some of the things they say. You see the way they interact with their children. And you may have been wondering where in the world are they getting these ideas. I want you to be very aware of this teaching so that you can identify it and not be sucked into it yourself. And ideally, I want you to be able to help them out of it and into Bible-based parenting. Because children are too precious and too valuable to stand idly by when they are put in danger. We must parent our children as God has instructed and encourage other parents to do the same. If you want to keep an outline for this this message tonight, I'll tell you, we're going to get to, toward the end of this evening, we're going to get to a specific passage of Scripture that I'm going to lay out some principles for you. Uh, but until then, we're going to spend some time getting familiar with this system and all of its ugly detail. And so first of all, I want to give you gentle parenting defined. There are many parenting experts today who are proponents of the gentle parenting model, but one of the most famous is an author by the name of Sarah Ockwell Smith. She has published many books on this. Here is her, uh, the information about her from her website. This is her about section. Sarah Ockwell Smith is a well-known parenting expert and popular child care author who writes about the psychology and science of parenting. She, is, she specializes in gentle parenting. She is often credited as being the founder of the movement and childism, the unconscious discrimination of children in society. Sarah has authored 14 books translated into over 30 languages which have sold over half a million copies. She is currently writing her 15th. Here is how this lady defines gentle parenting. Quote, gentle parenting is a scientific, evidence-based approach to raising confident and happy children. It is a parenting ethos, that is, an all-encompassing system, that is characterized by four tenets, empathy, respect, understanding, and boundaries. Now, when it comes to parenting, the world of psychology breaks parenting styles down into basically four categories. They are authoritarian, permissive, neglectful and authoritative. Authoritarian parenting, this is how they describe it, is the parenting style most arguably prevalent in mainstream society. 
It comes from a mindset of children need, that children need harsh discipline in order to become respectable citizens. At the most extreme end of authoritarian parenting lies physical punishment such as smacking or spanking. The second style is permissive parents. On the other hand, they have either inconsistent or non-existent boundaries. They regularly indulge the child's wishes, usually out of fear of upsetting them. Then there is neglectful parenting. That's essentially leaving the child to it, and they show little interest in participating in their child's lives. And then you have, number four, authoritative parenting. Quote, it is seen by the child development specialists as being the most successful approach. It is the one most likely to result in positive outcomes for both children and parents. Among other things, it is, quote, it understands that so-called misbehavior is a child's way of communicating. Gentle parenting falls under the category of authoritative parenting. Did you catch that statement? So-called misbehavior is a child's way of communicating. Remember that, because that's a very important tenet of this belief. Now, the fact is, most parents want to be thought of as nice parents. Am I right? I mean, very few parents intentionally want to be known as mean. And so, since most parents want to be thought of as nice empathetic, respectful, and understanding, the concept of gentle parenting appears, appeals to most. So how, according to this scheme, do we have empathy, show respect, come to understandings, and set proper boundaries? Let me explain. Secondly, let's talk about gentle parenting described. There is no single person or organization that defines and teaches gentle parenting. It's more of a loose connection of writers and influencers. So you'll find that there are variations on the theme that are presented by different quote-unquote experts that promote it. But there are many techniques common to most gentle parenting approaches and their tutorials and advice columns and so on and so forth. And so I want to explain as best of my ability how they explain, how they describe how this system works. First of all, the first big tenet is respect. According to one YouTuber, gentle parenting is, quote, the idea that your kids would choose to respond respectfully, appropriately, or kindly because of their mutual respect with you. Because they have this mutual respect with you, they choose to behave appropriately. Respect is the primary method of guiding a child into accepted behavior in this system, and that is as opposed to requiring obedience. That's out the window. That's out the door. You can't do that. You have to use respect to guide them. Quote, gentle parenting does not seek compliance and good behavior from the child as the main goal. According to these experts, teaching obedience is nothing more than a form of control. Their words, not mine. And according to them, no person should control another person ever for any reason. Now, it apparently has not occurred to them that their method is also an attempt to control. It's just using methods that they think are nicer. Another key component of gentle parenting, jot this down, 
is emotional validation. Emotional validation. And that is the idea that there are no such things as bad feelings or bad emotions. Sarah Ockwell Smith uses a term, emodiversity. She coined that phrase, I think she originated it, to describe how all people experience a broad range of emotions and that all emotions are okay. There's no such thing as wrong, sinful, or bad emotions in this system. Quote, gentle parents allow and support all emotions in their children. Their emphasis on the all. They arrive at this conclusion because they believe in the intrinsic goodness of all people. Let me give you a quote from a supposedly Christian author. She said, quote, children are born perfect. And by that, she literally meant without sin. That sums up their philosophy. According to them, teaching children that they are sinners damages them because it harms their view of self. It makes them question their worth. Consequently, here's another big uh, emphasis in this system. All negative words must be avoided. Quote, negative words have no place here. That means that words like don't, can't, and no have to leave your home, says one's parenting expert in this system. Never mind the irony of them saying, no, you can't use negative words. According to them, children need comfort and guidance, not correction. Their words, not mine. This also means that commands are out the window. Quote, swap commands for an invitation to work together. Quote, encourage the positive action. There are plenty of alternatives to saying no. Because to them, teaching obedience to commands is only an attempt to control. This also means that punishment is out of the window. No negative consequences of any kind are allowed to be used in this system. Certainly corporal punishment is out. But even using timeout corners or even sending a child to their room is a banned behavior in this system. Raising the decibel level of your voice in any way, using strong verbal commands or warnings, not allowed. When a child's behavior is less than ideal, because we can't call it wrong, they say that that is the time for, quote, parenting, not punishment. Curiously, at least to me, positive reinforcement in the, re- in the form of rewards for right behavior is also out the window. They say you can't do that. That's part of the unscientific and outdated practice of authoritarian parenting. You are implying that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. 
And so sticker charts or other ways to incentivize good behavior are wrong. Quote, the purpose of a reward chart, for example, is to get desirable behavior from the child in the moment. And hence, they think it's bad. At this point, you might be wondering, well, what can you do as a gentle parent? Well, you may show empathy, respect, and understanding through positive, affirming, validating words. You may set boundaries through redirection, but not correction. So a child who throws a temper tantrum must not be scolded or corrected. You must get down on their level and gently tell them that you hear them, that you understand they're frustrated, and discuss with them what the source of their emotion is. And by the way, this is not advice for people parenting 10, 12, 15-year-olds. This is advice for people parenting 1, 2, 3, 4-year-olds. A child who whines and complains is just trying to communicate their needs to you. So you mustn't chide them for that. You must listen through their whining to figure out their real need. A child who is hurting others must be validated in their strong emotion. I want to share a quote with you from a gentle parent podcaster. She addresses a mother whose five-year-old keeps hitting and pinching his younger sister. And somebody wrote in, How, what do I do with this? He's not, he, he keeps doing this. He's hurting his sister. How do I respond gently as a gentle parent? What do I do? Quote, he doesn't feel safe to open up and share himself, Lansbury explains. He feels attacked. He feels judged. He feels misunderstood. He feels he has to defend himself rather than having his mother or father or both of them being really curious about what's going on. He, the boy doing the hitting and the pinching, feels attacked. What about his little sister? But that's their approach. A child who lies must not be told it is wrong to do so. I'm not making this up. Lying is justified because they have strong imaginations. And to them, the story seems real. You must show them understanding... And as they learn to trust you, the parent, they will learn that they don't have any need to lie. That's the promise they make. Along with verbal affirmation, redirection is a key skill that you have to learn to be an effective, gentle parent. You have to learn how to get their attention off of the thing that's causing them emotion, emotional distress and get it onto someone, something else. In other words, distraction. Distract them with something else. You may not force compliance. You can't do that. But you may invite cooperation. Let the child know that you are partners working together. You cannot come across as the authority making demands. You want to cooperate together to achieve a desirable goal. You may give the child the freedom to choose... Whenever it's possible, the child should always be given the freedom to choose things. What they wear, what and if and when they eat, when and how and if they sleep, 
when and how they will be weaned, potty trained, and as they grow older, your child should be given the free will to choose for themselves every possible turn, and you as a parent are simply there to provide them the opportunity to make the choice. Now, if all of this is still seeming a little bit vague to you, well, that's actually good. Because this whole system rejects the notion of absolutes, authoritative assertions, or compliance to a set standard of rules. It's very hard to have a definite course of action when you don't believe that there is a definite course of action that's the right one to take. Each child is supposed to be allowed to act according to his or her emotions, to be, a, to be validated in those emotions, and the adult in their life is simply supposed to gently guide them into, quote, how to intrinsically decide to self-regulate their emotions. Let me uh, now give you number three, gentle parenting demonstrated. I want to give a couple of real-life scenarios, real two-life scenarios, that demonstrate what gentle parenting looks like in action. And this, you know I have a sense of humor, okay? And I, I can be sarcastic, but I want to be very clear that this is not sarcasm, that this is my honest attempt to demonstrate what gentle parenting looks like in practice. So let's, let's give just two. Suppose you are the parent of a four-year-old. You're at the grocery store, and your child sees a box of Fruit Loops. How many of you like Fruit Loops and are willing to admit it? Okay, yeah, there's a few of you here. I like Fruit Loops, but I can't eat them anymore. I'm allergic to some of it, so that's a disappointment for me. Maybe that's why I put this in my illustration here. Maybe I'm the four-year-old child. Maybe I need the evaluation. I don't know. The child sees a box of Fruit Loops, and the child declares to the parent they want the Fruit Loops. You, as the parent, you know that the Fruit Loops are not in the budget that week, and they would not be healthy for the child anyway. Now, if you're following the gentle parenting model, you're not allowed to say, no, we can't get Fruit Loops. Not allowed to do that. Instead, you must guide the child to a better decision by using an indirect, suggestive question like this. You might say, wouldn't it be better if we spent that money on fruit to have with our breakfast? Since fruit is better for us than a cereal like that. That's how the gentle parent expert would advise you to do it, probably. Some children might respond to that placidly and acceptingly, but many children are not. They will demand that you get the Fruit Loops. Why? Because children probably like Fruit Loops better than real fruit. And so they think, no, Fruit Loops taste better, so that is better. That's what I want. And so they say, no, I want the Fruit Loops, and they insist. Maybe they're getting a little louder. Maybe they're beginning to make a little bit of a scene. You might say then to your child, your four-year-old, you might say something like this to try and de-escalate the situation. You might say, I understand that you want Fruit Loops and that you're sad we can't have them. I get sad too when I don't get the things that I want. 
Why don't we plan to get Fruit Loops the next time we go grocery shopping? Inviting cooperation? Empathizing with the child? This is what you're supposed to do. Well, not surprisingly, the four-year-old might not like your plan. And at that point, they may, reach, they may reach the end of their emotional limits and have a total meltdown and throw a temper tantrum in the middle of the store. They might hurl themselves on the floor, scream, flail their arms, demanding that they be given what they want. As a gentle parent, you do not physically force the child to stop their tantrum in any way. You don't pick them up off the floor and hold them tightly until they stop flailing. You don't use any kind of physical intervention. That would be wrong. Instead, this is what they teach. You get down on their level and you speak softly to them. Whispering is best because then the child has to be quiet to listen to you. But do not attempt to speak over the child because that would be disrespecting them. If they do not immediately quiet down to listen, wait until they're done screaming and give you their attention. Then say something like this, I hear you. I know you're upset because we can't get the Fruit Loops. I get upset about things I don't like too. It's okay to feel this way. How about we get up off the floor and talk about how we can plan to get the Fruit Loops? And you continue this soft, passive, emotionally-centered discussion as long as is necessary until your child responds calmly. No correction, no rebuke, no punishment, just soft validation and gentle redirection. That's gentle parenting. Let me give you another scenario. Let's say you've made some cookies for company and you have told your six-year-old that these are special cookies for your friends that are coming later. You've invited him to cooperate with you by saying that they're for your friends when they come so that they can all share them together. Won't that be fun to eat them together? But while you're in the other room, you hear that tin of cookies rattling in there. And you walk in and you see your six-year-old chewing with a half a cookie in his hand. As a gentle parent, you might say, I know those cookies look really good, but we wanted to save them to eat with our friends. Did you forget about the plan that we made? The child might respond saying something like this. No, I was walking by and the cookie fell in my mouth. If you've had six-year-olds, you understand that that's not out of the realm of possibility to hear that, right? Now, that's a lie. It's not the truth. But as a gentle parent... You can't correct them for lying. You know that this child is just doing what comes natural to him. He's using his imagination to explain an emotionally difficult situation, i.e., he got caught. So you might say, I know that cookie didn't jump into your mouth, but that's as far as you can go. At that point, it's better just to redirect him. Wouldn't it be better to go play with our toys until our friends get here so something like this ha doesn't happen again? No correction, no rebuke, no punishment, just soft validation and gentle redirection. 
Now, neither of these two scenarios are exaggerations. To some of you, it may seem like they are. They're not. I've read the material. I've watched the videos. And I've seen these techniques. I've heard these kinds of discussions. I've seen them with my own eyes and heard them with my own ears amongst family and friends. And I'm not exaggerating. So let's notice next gentle parenting's draw. What, what draws people to this style of parenting? Well, before I, before I go any farther into that, let me acknowledge openly that there are some things that the gentle parenting crowd gets right. In fact, there's enough that is right that it's a very convincing counterfeit of biblical parenting. You know, a good counterfeiter is going to make the counterfeit look as much like the real thing as possible. So let me acknowledge some things they get right. Their emphasis on respect is right. Every child is a unique person created in the image of God and worthy of respect. They are fearfully and wonderfully made, and they should not be treated like they are less in worth than adults or anyone else. Their emphasis on kindness, it's right. Be a kind one to another, the Bible says, and that applies to the, both, to the parent-child relationship too. It's wrong to be an unkind parent. Their focus on consistency and their condemnation of hypocrisy is right. Jesus condemned those who taught people one thing but did another. He called them hypocrites and whited sepulchers. Yes, a parent must learn to control their own emotions because anger, wrath, unjust criticism, impatience, those are all bad parenting practices. Their emphasis on compassion is right. We should treat others how we would want to be treated, including children. As ye would that men should do to you, do you also unto them, Luke 6.31. The idea that you should be rearing children with a goal of them becoming emotionally healthy adults can't be argued with. Because Ephesians 6.4 says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because there are enough good ideas in their sales pitch, many people then buy into the program expecting it to deliver on its promises. But the problem lies more in the execution than in the claims and promises made. How they teach you to achieve these goals not in the goals themselves so much. And so many people, including Christians, are drawn to this parenting style for different reasons. Some are drawn to it because they've been exposed to poor parenting themselves. I want to say to everyone in here tonight, your parents weren't perfect. They're not. If you're still living at home, if you're a child, your parents aren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect. No one's parents are perfect. Why? Because all parents are sinners. Some people, because they think they had a bad upbringing or because they were perhaps exposed to abuse, are drawn to this system because it seems like a much better way than the way they were exposed to. Don't want to duplicate the mistakes that you experience, so they look for a different way. And they, some people want to get as far away from an abusive style of parenting as they can. 
And they end up at gentle parenting. Some people are drawn to this because it caters to their own emotions. And let me insert this right here at this point. Uh, one trend that I found as I've been studying this out is that almost exclusively the authors and the podcasters and the YouTubers and the social media influencers that are pushing this stuff are women. I have yet to find a father. I'm sure it's out there. I just haven't found it yet. But by and large, it's women. Why do I point that out? Because the whole system is centered on the emotions of the child. God created men and women differently. Women are more emotionally centered than men are. And so, some people are drawn to this trend because it caters to their own emotions. They want to feel like a good parent. They want to be respected. And so they follow this scheme because of how it makes them feel. Some people are drawn simply because it's popular and they're naive enough to think it fits popular. It must be good. Some are duped into it by the pseudoscience that the system claims to be based on. It asserts that it is made... Uh, um, it is according to the most modern neuroscience and psychological advancement, citing all of these studies done to prove that their system is the best. Even though that so-called science, by the way, is far from settled, even in the secular world, when you really dive into the claims that are made in these secular studies, it's not quite as settled as they want you to think it is. And Christian parents, I believe, are especially vulnerable... Because kindness, gentleness, love, forgiveness, grace, mercy, compassion, these are all Christian traits that we should want to have in our lives. And any system that promises to teach us how to be that kind of a parent is appealing for the right reasons. And the result is that many Christians have been fooled into adopting the language and techniques promoted by gentle parent gurus, not realizing that behind it lies a godless, humanist philosophy designed to undermine the authority of God and convince people that they are not sinners and therefore they do not need a Savior. And But because most of this is being filtered through online influencers, many of them Christian influencers, before it reaches the average mother and father in the church, the false doctrine and the heresy is not necessarily as apparent because it's kind of been watered down by the time it gets to you and me. But the secular experts who have popularized this are not ashamed to tell you what they really believe about biblical morality. I have, by the way, I have a whole stack of... I'm not preaching through all this tonight. Calm down, it's okay. But I have, I have a stack of notes here, and I'm going to pull one out. This is from Sarah Ockwell Smith, the one credited with starting this movement 20 years ago, 15 years ago when she wrote the first book. By the way, her first child was born in 2002, so she's been a parent for 20 years, and um, she's the expert, okay? This is an article from her blog. And I'm just going to read you the title if any of you want to come look, read this or look it up later. Here's this, here's this particular author from, excuse me, article from this author. Ten ways to be LGBTQ plus supportive when raising children. 
This is an excerpt from one of her most recent books about parenting tween-agers. If you want to read that, you're welcome to do that. And that will tell you very quickly what kind of people have popularized and are promoting this. They want you to raise your child believing that there's nothing wrong with them. Because if there are no sinners, then there's no need for a Savior. If there is no rebuke, then there's no repentance, and then there's no redemption. So let me give you number five. Gentle parenting debunked. And at this point, I'm only going to be able to give you the outline and invite you back next week. But turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Next week, Lord willing, I'll be sharing with you a lot of quotes from a book written by a supposedly Christian author. And the book, if you, want to, if you want to look it up and read it, you're welcome to. You can fact check me on this. It's called Jesus the Gentle Parent. I'm going to be sharing with you quotes proving that this is not Pastor Chambers being dramatic. They're actually saying these things. They actually are that dangerous. But there are some Christians who are promoting this and understand the, the Christians promoting it do not believe what the Bible says. Literally. They literally redefine the Bible in order to make it support what they believe. That is how a Christian can follow the gentle parenting formula, by redefining Scripture. Words like commandments, obey, train, the rod, discipline, and others are literally redefined. They don't mean what you think they mean so that they can fit the gentle parenting model. But the plain reading of Scripture read, leads us to an entirely different system of parenting. And it's not what is called today gentle parenting. It is godly parenting. Hebrews chapter 12, look with me at verse number 4. But ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children... My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. That's a quote from the Old Testament. For whom, verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, a.k.a. respect. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He, that is our Heavenly Father, for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest, they, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. 
I've been waiting for this author to explain to me how this fits in to the gentle parenting system. I haven't been convinced yet. Notice, and all I'm going to do is give you some points here and we're going to be done. But I want you to leave tonight with an affirmation of what the Bible says godly parenting looks like. And then we'll talk about it in more detail later. There's some very important principles here, instructions that we as parents should follow and truths that we must understand. Number one, parents are sinners and children are too. What does he say in verse number four? Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Not undesirable behaviors, not less than ideal actions, sin. And God defined sin when he said in 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression, i.e. disobedience of the law. Number two, parents are to love and children are to learn to love too. Verse number six, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. We love God because He first loved us. As our Heavenly Father, He modeled love. And as earthly parents, we model love for our children. Number three, parents are to lead, children are to obey. What does it say that the Lord does? He takes the lead in chastening and scourging every son whom He receiveth. He's the one in charge. He's the one. God does not invite mutual cooperation. God instructs us to obey. He invites us to follow in obedience. In the gentle parenting system, the child leads through their emotions. That's wrong. The parent is supposed to lead the child. Number four, parents are to correct. Children are to learn through correction. Two words are used in this passage, chasten and scourge. Chasten is a mild correction. Scourge is exactly what it sounds like. It's a physical punishment. And through that process that God takes us through, we learn, and it's the same way in the parent-child relationship. Parents correct, children learn. And parents correct because they love their child. Not because they lose their temper. That's the wrong way to do it. Not because they're mad. That's the wrong way to do it. Not because they're frustrated. That's the wrong way to do it. But because they genuinely love their children Number five, parents are to accept their children for who they are regardless of their behavior. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The word receiveth means accepts as his own. And yes, parents ought to accept their children for who they are, not the, their behavior, whatever it is. Don't validate their emotions or behaviors if they're sinful, but uh, accept that child. Let them know that your love for them doesn't change even if their behavior is wrong. Next, parents are the authority, and children are to respect and submit to the parental authority. Notice in this passage, it talks about we had fathers according to our flesh that corrected us and we gave them reverence or respect. And in a similar way, we are to be in subjection to the Father of Spirits. That is the biblical pattern. 
Next, children should have, or parents rather, should have the child's true best interest at heart. Children should trust their parents. Correction is not pleasant, but it is good because it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Next, parents are to teach, children are to learn. The parent is supposed to be in the driver's seat teaching the child what is right and wrong. Not frustrating the child by asking them open-ended questions that they don't have the emotional, mental, or spiritual maturity to answer. Wouldn't it be better not to hit your sister to a three-year-old? The three-year-old doesn't know. It's your job as a parent to say, that's wrong. Don't do it. Parents are to provide. Children are to honor. It's a parent's duty to give the child what they need, even if what they need is correction. Children are to respect that and honor their parents. Children are to respect the choices that parents make for them, knowing that their parent has their best interest at heart. And last, parents are to protect and children are to submit. The parent sets clear boundaries for the good of the child and the child submits to those limitations even if they don't understand. You know, there's so much that we could say about parenting and obviously I've gone longer than normal tonight. But I'm reminded of Psalm 126. Children are in heritage of the Lord. When God gives children to Christian parents, that is a stewardship. Mom and dad, those are not your kids. They are God's kids. And He has given us the instructions how to rear them. It is not up to us to pick however we want to rear them. It is up to us to learn what God expects and to follow it. And following a godless humanistic system that tells children that they are not sinners is dangerous. Please, consider your duty as a Christian parent and bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Whether you have children at home, whether your children are grown and gone, whether you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, every one of us in here tonight, our lives are touched by many children. And we touch the lives of many children. We have a tremendous amount of influence. And yes, it's true that there has been a lot of bad parenting that has resulted resulted in harm done. And we must be careful that we don't duplicate those mistakes. But at the same time, we cannot go to the opposite end of the spectrum and commit equally bad errors, even if they seem nicer, because they fall under the category of gentle. There's nothing gentle 
about a cruel, manipulative, confusing system of parenting. So tonight, I want to invite every mom and every dad, every grandparent, every great-grandparent, and even every child in here tonight to go to God in prayer about your family, your children, your parents, whatever the case may be. Because Satan is trying so hard to destroy our homes. We need God's wisdom. We need God's protection. 